Kyle. Thanks so much for joining Making Healthcare Work for You, Different Perspectives and Empowering Solutions. I'm Stephanie Fields, joined by my co-host, Dr. Apoorv Gupta. And today we're welcoming April Kyle, who is the president and CEO of the South Central Foundation in Alaska. Thanks so much for being here. Hi, happy to be here. We are really excited to talk to you because you have been widely recognized for your NUCA system of care, which is relationship-centered. It's the power of story. Why is the story in the community and building your healthcare from the, that starting point so important? So, Stephanie, if you don't mind, I'll take just a minute to share the story of South Central Foundation, sort of who we are and where we came from. I'll begin by introducing myself, I'm April Kyle. I've been with SCF for 20 years, uh, CEO for three, behavioral health VP before that. And my, I'm Alaska native, my tribe is Nanelchik on my father's side. My mom's from California, that's where I get my blonde hair. Worked here a long time. Um, and some of you may be familiar with the Indian Health Service, which is a branch of the government designed to provide healthcare to Alaska native and American Indian people. And when I was a kid, we had an IHS hospital, woefully underfunded. You could only get in through the emergency department. It was the second class place to go. And along came this thing called the Indian Self-Determination Act, which said that Alaska Native people could contract those dollars and design our own health system. So South Central Foundation story is really an example of what can happen when the voice of families and the voice of communities can really drive what health care can look like. So the whole idea of self-determination and communities being the driver requires that we become good at listening and being in relationship and being driven by voice of community. Right, remarkable. I'm glad you uh, gave that context, April, because it's amazing what can come. Uh, and, and it's, I guess, maybe if it's, it's even prescient for the regulators to realize that it had to come from the community. And uh, you described that really well in terms of getting together with everybody and listening. Uh, one of the thoughts that had come from that is that as you go around uh, teaching this to other people, because the system has become so popular, you're teaching this around the country and around the world. Um, do you find that that translates easily enough to other health system leaders uh, and or, you know, do they get the concepts but still struggle at implementing them because they can't get the support of the community behind them the way you've been able to? Corv, I think at the beginning of our journey, people would say, man, that's going to be so hard. Alaska Native people, health disparities, social determinants, ACEs, funding. Now that South Central Foundation has proven to be a successful, innovative healthcare delivery model, uh, people are like, well, that's because you're Alaska Native and you have this beautiful culture. And um, in my mind, as you get to know our system and really the values that are at the heart of what we do, these concepts of whole person wellness, which I'd love to talk a little bit more about. Um, idea of relationship as the competency in healthcare, the core competency that we build, the concept of customer ownership, really listening and being driven by community, and the idea that um, we're going to base this idea of relationship on story, that story is in fact grounded in Alaska Native culture, but these ideas are not unique to our people. And what I've found as we've had the opportunity to spend time in other health systems around the country and internationally 
that people have different words for these things, but they're human things and they make sense sort of across, across communities. That's been my experience. It's interesting too, because different places have different cultures. And so if they're listening to their people and having relationships, it seems like you could probably build a system in a different place that might look different and have the same types of things. We're listening to people, but the things that are important might change. You mentioned whenever you were building this, that it was addiction, domestic violence, child abuse, things like that. So other communities might have, maybe it's food insecurity or things like that, that might be important. But I think what you said before was so important about whole addressing the whole person. So how does forming these relationships and listening to their stories allow you to treat the whole person and in turn allow that to lead to the outcomes that are contributing to health, not just treating sickness? So we would say that the product of the NUCA system of care, the thing we aim to be excellent at creating is the quality of relationship that we can sit in. And that means that we're not focused on diagnosis and treatment plans. Not that we don't do those things, but that's not the core of what we want our system to produce. And that idea of being good at relationships exists at a macro level between institution and community, and at a micro level every day between a family and a care team, whether it's a primary care team or an addiction care team. When we think of your question, Stephanie, is really a macro level question, which is when you listen to community, what our community has asked us to build might be different than what another community um, it, it needs, what they're what they're what's most important to them. I think it's a really brilliant question because most of the time when people come to look at South Central Foundation, they're coming to look at our current healthcare system delivery model. So. The fact that we've been doing advanced access in primary care since the late 90s, the fact that we've had integrated behavioral health for almost two decades in the primary care setting, um, the way that we've been thinking about addiction medicine and getting past this idea of treatment plans as being a starting place and starting with relationship instead. But that's really just our current service delivery model. The really important thing, more important than what we're doing today, is the competency of creating a way for an institution to get input from community and to be tasked with listening to community. So just one more example, and then I'll pause. The old way of thinking is that those of us in healthcare with all of the initials behind our names really know what's best for people. And in 15 minutes, we can assess you and tell you what you should do. And then two months later, judge whether or not you're compliant with the directions that your healthcare provider told you you should do. And we want to turn that on its head and say, our job as the institution of healthcare is to listen to and understand what matters to people and families, to take that direction and innovate, change our service delivery model based on that direction. And then two months later, show community, here's what we heard from you. Here's how we changed. Did we get it right? And allow community to judge whether or not we're compliant with following their direction. Well, April, I think you almost answered my question, but maybe I want to tease it out a little bit more. Uh, you know, when you're saying the quality of the relationships is what matters, and we are actually letting the community judge whether we got it right. So how do you know that? Is that a subjective sort of a thing you've got to tease out? Is it metrics? Is it 
customer experience, community experience, surveys. I'd love to understand how that really emerges that you know you did a great job with that relationship and the listening. So, sure, sure. I'm going to share with you a personal example. I've been here 20 years. Maybe 15 years ago, I was our HR director at the time. I was doing a change in the organization. And the story has, there's a reason, and we share through stories. So hang in there with me. But we had these badges, and the badges sat this way. And if we move them this way, then they would have like a chip or something. But when you make them this way, there's not enough room for initials. So we had to change, like, what were we going to put in that? And I went to the leadership team and said, okay, the dentists want all these initials, and the nurses want these initials. And so here's what I think. And uh, leadership said to me, and what did customer owners say? And I wanted to crawl under the desk with embarrassment because I was proposing a change without the voice of the community. And I'm giving that really silly little example because the answer to your question is yes and, yes and, yes and. So the starting place is if our competency is going to be the quality of relationships that we could sit in, then we have to invest in creating that as the culture of the organization. We do that by describing every job as how it sits in relationship, hiring through behavioral-based uh, behavioral interviewing for people who sit naturally in relationship that enjoy doing work that way, onboarding through relationships. And we do a training. I do a training called Core Concepts. It's a three-day training with every group of new employees where we practice the idea of acknowledging story. The importance of story is the basis of how we create relationships. We think about why it's important to share a part of our story with others, how we can respond to people's story in a healthy way. We think about the impact it has on us when we hear really hard stories from others and how we can acknowledge that impact, but also make sure our response is healthy to the person who's just shared their story. So really developing sort of the competency of being good at that as a workforce of 2,700 people. Then you take that competency and you create the structures for that to happen. So, for example, we have clinics sort of all across our region in different communities. And in each of those communities, um, we work with the local tribal government to create a health council. Health councils made up of community members. We sit with those community members and we talk about what matters to the community and what matters to healthcare. I can remember one of the meetings. The community always talks first about what matters in their community, and we listen. And they were talking about this dilapidated ball field, and there was a bar next to it, and they wanted to clean up the ball field and put a espresso machine coffee shop there and make it a family-friendly place. Should I use healthcare dollars for an espresso machine? Should we shut down the clinic for part of an afternoon to help with the cleanup of that ball field? Well, if we're about wellness, of course we should, right? How do we reorient our thinking about what drives wellness based on what we're hearing from community in real time? Very, very different than U.S. healthcare model. And so then how do you convince other people or help them understand through stories and relationship that doing things this different way doesn't necessarily have to mean that you're not going to have the outcomes that people are going to become more chronically ill because they're going to be focused on relationships, not focused on diet and exercise and convince them that there is a way for the system to still profit, but care about people, not necessarily forsaking one or the other. I have a, a story about that. 
that has become sort of a little bit of, you know, how you have your institutional stories that ground you, and this is one of them. So a um, number of years ago, I'm the vice president of behavioral health. We had an outpatient addiction treatment program. It was really checking all the boxes for Medicaid, but we knew that it could be better. So we decided to have a planning meeting with lots of voice from community about how we could do addiction treatment differently. And you know what was really hard is that we kept feeling constrained by how we're paid, the regulations, accrediting, all the things that tell us what we should be doing in healthcare. And I hold them up here on purpose because in that meeting I said, you know what, I'm the leader in the room. I'm going to hold all those things. I'm going to make sure that it financially pencils out. We're not going to break the law. But if I held all of that and you didn't have to worry about it, what do you think we should really do? And maybe what we should really do is build a canoe. And when I say build a canoe, I don't mean like figuratively. I mean, literally, people come together and work hard and learn how to build something. Maybe that is the right intervention. And if we think building a canoe is the right thing to do, then we should just do it. And I will figure out how to convince, like, yes, that's healthcare, and we should be paid for it. And maybe we have to change our Medicaid plan, and I'm going to partner with the state to do it. But we're going to figure out how not to be driven by tail wags dog healthcare, but to be driven by the principle that community knows best and voice of that community is going to drive how we evolve our healthcare system. It's actually really, really hard to do in the U.S., but if you convince yourself that that's what's most important and then put yourself in a position to stand in that gap as leaders and hold all of that above so that innovation can really happen, um, amazing different looking healthcare delivery could occur. I love the inspiration and your visual of holding things above so that you can actually create some space and, and maybe a protected space, a safe space within which people can actually start thinking differently. That's incredible. I love how you how you illustrated that. And then I'll tease out Stephanie's question a little bit more. So April, even though you've completely changed the paradigm within that space and really are knocking it out of the park in any way you would want to measure, you're also knocking it out of the park in any way anyone else would want to measure you because I know from, you know, I can't believe we have this far into the uh, interview and we haven't even mentioned that you, uh, South Central Foundation is a two-time Baldridge Award winner. I mean, this is just an incredible organization. I think uh, Don Berwick at one point said this might be the finest example of innovation that he's ever seen. You know, I was just, I've been blown away by it myself, uh, you know, over the six years since I came to hear about this. So you also have delivered incredible hard outcomes that just beat everybody else on in terms of things that they theoretically care about. Would you care to comment a little bit on that to try to help people understand that this isn't theory, this is about how theory meets reality? Yeah. Yeah, I really appreciate that question. And I want to start by saying SCF isn't perfect. Um, our community has a lot of needs. We have lots of good work ahead of us. We think we're poised to tackle that good work, but we're not perfect. Um, but what we acknowledged early on is that the data people use to understand healthcare in the U.S. is really not about wellness, right? All of our EHRs are built to keep us out of trouble, to comply with the law, and to check some boxes so that somebody reimburses us for the things that they think count um, as driving wellness. Um, so given that, what we have done uh, for a long time is created what we call a data mall. And the data mall sits above all of our EHRs and holds all of our data above it and allows us to do real population health thinking and create a system of scorecards and dashboards um, that allow us to really drive what we think are wellness outcomes. We still do all the other things, but they're not our driver. We're not going to let them be. 
Um, that means that not only do we have at a system level what our outcome measures look like, but we have uh, dashboards for individual care teams. And those dashboards are not just evaluated at the end of a quarter so that we can retrospectively say you did good or you didn't, but they're in the hands of those care teams in real time every day. So if you're a primary care team, you have a dashboard, you're working together towards those outcomes, your job is bigger than whoever calls you today and says they're sick. It's about reaching out proactively to talk about immunizations and colonoscopies and you know bringing people back in. Hey, I just saw you got out of the ER. How's it going? Let's talk through that. It's about proactive, relationship-based, wellness-driven healthcare. So how has that worked? Um, and you mentioned the Baldridge Award, and I know everyone doesn't know what Baldridge is, but I promise you, you don't win it without outcomes. Um, at the beginning of our journey, I remember when everything you were supposed to be low on, Alaska Native people were high on, and everything you want to be high on, we were low on. Um, we use, of course, HEDIS measures, which is the way we compare ourselves to others. I remember us targeting the 50th percentile, so yay, let's be mediocre. And we are consistently now hitting the 75th percentile and often the 90th percentile outperforming others in the healthcare market. In addition to those clinical outcomes measures through HEDIS, we also look at things like reduced ER utilization, hospitalization, customer owner satisfaction, employee satisfaction, turnover rates. Um, and I don't want to say that we're doing all the things right. We, we certainly have a lot of work to do ahead of us, but we are an example of how, when you're driven by what families really tell you they need, you can design something that is actually meaningful in the lives of families to accomplish, to accomplish wellness. With the results that you've had, which are undeniable, so no one can say to you, oh, no, you don't know how to do this. You don't know how to reach these milestones. You've done it. And you've also tapped into your community and made a true difference. So. If you were going somewhere, if we put you in Arkansas, no, no, if we put you in Arkansas, where would you start? Because you're then there in a whole new community. So where do you start to then do something that's going to tap into the community and produce these outcomes? So we actually do that. I, I think you might know we run a, a consulting firm. We actually find that the fact that um, at our annual conference, Don Berwick has done our keynote, getting to be in these relationships with people that are thinking innovatively helps Alaska Native people also grow in our thinking about healthcare. So we love to be in these kinds of spaces. We do it a lot. If I were to drop into somebody's healthcare system and just notice and be part of how they're thinking, my first question would be, um, how does your community feel about you? Right. What is did you did you know what matters to your community and what they need right now? And, um, you know, I think systems intend to do that. But how do you build that as the intentional way in which you are going to be driven um, for for innovation and um, people uh, relationship with institutions is hard. Um, and I will say from the Alaska Native experience, distrust of institutions has been a successful survival mechanism. So what I see is this intention of customer ownership, listening to community, driven by community, community owns the system, took us time for our workforce to understand. It's actually generationally happening as far as a change to our orientation to healthcare. So I think this idea of community driven, deciding that that matters, and then sticking with it in the long run 
and 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 acknowledging that we with all the initials behind our names are not going to know what's best our competency has to be to listen and to innovate and to know we're never going to get it right because our grandbabies 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 are always going to need different things Thank you so much for this amazing conversation and inside look into how you're doing this because it is truly transformational. Incredible. Thank you, April. Thank and, you both. And thank you all for watching. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.